Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. The Word of God says this, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he, was, that he had come home. And so many gathered. There was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached. He preached the Word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because the crowd was so large, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Notice what Jesus said. He said, your sins are forgiven. I want to go over to verse 12. The Bible says in verse 12, he got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of them all. They were amazed. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Can you believe that the people saw this man walking and they said, we've never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Father, I know that you're a healer. I know, Lord, that nothing is above you. There's no economy, no virus, no government, no person that can stop your work. Father, we are blessed to be your children. But Father, as your children, we also are in a sinful, fallen world and experience suffering. So I pray this morning that you would speak to me clearly, Lord, and through me, to everyone here present, everyone listening online. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I want to speak to you this morning as we continue part four of our series. Bless this mess. Part four, the subject that I want to speak to you about today is simple. It's change. How many of you need some change in your life? Can you just show me your hands? You know, all hands should be going up because I really doubt that there are people that say, well, pastor, I'm looking at my life right now. I'm looking at everything I have. I'm looking at everything I experience. And really, I can honestly say, there's nothing in my life that needs to change. Everything is perfect. In fact, I don't want anything to change. Life is so good for me. Life is so wonderful that I'm actually praying that God doesn't change a single thing. If that's really you, I think you're either a liar or you're crazy out of your mind. Because the reality is, everyone here wants an area of change in their life. And I want to speak to you on the subject of change. And the title of today's message is First Things First. That phrase, first things first, it deals with matters that should be dealt with first before other things. 
And I believe that if you want to see a change in your life, if you want to see God truly change your situation, your life, there are some things you need to do first before God can add those other things of change in your life. When you think about change, it frightens me. Some people don't like change at all. They want to keep things the same. They want the ways of life to never alter. But isn't it amazing how quickly life changes? Just, just think about where we're at right now as a nation. I mean, just in the beginning of the new year, phrases like social distancing were never heard. You would never walk into a store and see a sign that said six feet apart. That would seem completely abnormal and crazy. But now when you look around our church and businesses everywhere and you see these signs, it doesn't even phase us anymore because it has changed so fast. We are now adjusted to it. Did you ever think that you would have to come to church and get your temperature checked? And wear a mask. Did you ever think that life in our country can change so rapid because of one bad police officer? Did you ever think that our government would be changing to the point that talks like abolishing and removing the police just in January would have been outrageous? And as of this week, is now being discussed as a possibility. It's quickly changing how, how our economy can be great one moment and change the next and fall apart. Life changes. Just imagine, some of us, we can remember our first day of school. And now you're planning retirement. And life changes. And some of us, there's things we wish we never changed. Some parents wish that their kids can stay kids forever. And you're tired already of the teenage years. And you say, can't you stay my little girl, my little boy forever? Change happens. Change is quick. Some change is scary. In fact, right now, we can change so fast that actually Christianity and churches can be removed in the United States. You think, no, well, that would never happen. But did you ever think that what we're going through now as a country would ever happen? Some change is scary. Some change is necessary. And all of us have an area in our lives we want God to change. And in the Bible, we see this group of friends that had a friend that was paralyzed, couldn't walk. And this paralyzed man wanted a change of his life. He was tired of being stuck. He was tired of not being able to walk. He was tired of the same thing every day. And something in him knew that not only did he need change, he knew that change was possible. 
And he heard that Jesus was in town. And I don't know how this conversation went, but they all got convinced that they would go to Jesus to really change their friend's life. Because this man's life was a mess. He couldn't walk. This man was looking for a physical change in his life because he could not walk. What I love about this man is that not only did he know that he needed some change in his life, not only did he want some change in his life, he went further and knew and believed that change was possible through Jesus Christ. This man believed that he didn't have to stay the way he was staying. This man actually believed that Jesus could actually change his life. You see, we believe that this man, he wasn't always crippled. We know this because in the Bible, when someone was born with some type of limitation, the Bible often mentioned it. For example, in John 9, there was a man that was blind, and the Bible says he was born blind. In the book of Acts, there was a man who was crippled, and the Bible says he was born crippled. But the fact that the Bible says this man was not born in this condition leads us to believe that this man, at one point of his life, was able to walk, everything was good, but something happened. We don't know if it was a tragic accident, we don't know is that we don't know if this man was not able to walk because of his sin in his life because the Bible does show that sometimes some people were physically sick because of a spiritual sin in their life. We don't know whether this man was in an accident all of a sudden and life changed for him because we know that that happens in life. It takes one moment to change your life forever. It takes one phone call, one accident, one problem can change your life forever. But we don't know if this man experienced a life-changing tragedy. We don't know if this man was in the condition he was in because of his sin. But whatever the reason, Jesus did two things I want you to focus on. The Bible says that Jesus forgave his sin and healed him physically. You say, Pastor, well, why is that so important? Because you have to understand the power that Jesus has. Jesus has the power to forgive sin. Any sin that you have committed, any sin in your past, any mistake, any sin that plagues your mind with shame and guilt and condemnation, you don't have to keep, you don't have to hold on. God can forgive your sins right now. When Jesus looked at this man, he was demonstrating the power and the authority he had over sin. And if you're here this morning and you can't forgive yourself and you keep going back to that film and you keep going back to those thoughts of what you did, and how you did it and how could I have done it and you're living with regret and you're living with shame and you're living with condemnation let this sink into your mind Jesus Christ has the power and the authority to forgive and remove and wipe that sin away wipe it away and Jesus also not only forgave his sin but Jesus also physically healed them. So Jesus said here that not only do I have the authority spiritually to change things, 
I have the authority physically to change things. So whatever the reason for your mess, maybe you're in a mess because of choices. Maybe you're in a mess, as we learned last week, because you cross boundaries. And maybe your life is a mess because of a particular sin in your life. Jesus covered that. And maybe you're in a mess and you're saying, well, pastor, it's not a particular sin or choice I've made. It's just something that happened to me. Someone did this to me. I went through this experience that wasn't really in my control. And whatever that thing may be, Jesus has a power over that as well. Do you realize you serve a God that has authority over the supernatural and the natural things of your life? And like this man, I believe that there's a lot of us that want to see change. There's a lot of you that look in your life and you say, man, I want change. I want change in my life. And like this man, wanting change is not enough. You know, one of the dumbest things I hear quoted oftentimes is that you need, if you want things to change, you're going to want it bad enough. That is such a lie. Because you can want it bad enough and want it bad enough and want it so bad and say, man, I want it and never get it. Because you have to move from want to, to got to, to doing it. There are so many wanters in the church. I want to change, and I want a better life, and I want to get closer to Jesus, and I want a better marriage, and I want to raise my God and my kids better, and I want a financial change, and I want a change in my health, and I want, and I want, and I want, and all you do is want, you'll never experience it. And then there's people that go to the other realm of not just wanting, they say, I got to, man, I got to change. I got to change this about my life. I got to make changes in my marriage. I got to make changes in the way I'm raising my kids. I got to make changes in my finances. I got to. Oh, pastor, I know I got to. Pastor, I know I got to change. I hear it all the time in counseling. I know I got to. I know I got to tithe more. I know I got to serve more. I know I got to. I know I want to. I know I got to. And they stay stuck. Because you have to move from want to, get back, just bypass got to, and step into that realm where you're saying, I wanted it, and I got it. Isn't that what you want for your life? Do you want to waste the rest of your life wanting change? Telling yourself you got to change? Or do you want to live your life truly experiencing the change of God in your life? Because some of us, we have to understand that you may want some changes in a situation. This is called situational changes. Let me give you some example. Maybe you want change in your finances. You're tired of scraping change. You're tired of debt. You're tired of never having enough and just getting by. And there's people that are overly stressed because of money and you want to change in your finances. There are some people that have a situation with their health and you want to change in your health. You want to be able to breathe better and walk better and live better. There are people that want to change in their marriage. You have a situation in your marriage right now that the love is not the same. You guys are drifting apart and there's thoughts of divorce and you're not connecting as well. And you say, man, I really want to change in my marriage 
Some people have a situation with their children that they want change, and they want their kids to change something that they're doing wrong. And other people just want to change in other people in their lives. You want someone to treat you better. You want someone to be more kind. You want someone to stop doing what they're doing and stop hurting you the way you're hurting. So some of us, we're seeking situational changes. Others are searching, are searching for personal changes. You want to change in your attitude. How many of you need to change in your attitude? Probably, you're such liars. All right, good, one person. A change in your attitude. You're saying, well, I want to change in my attitude, and I know i got to change in my attitude, but remember, we're here today to move away from want to and got to to actually doing it. You want to change. You're always bitter. You're always gossiping. You're slandering. You're always negative. You're always down on others. You have an attitude problem. You have a hot temper. Some of us have personal habits we want to change. There are things you want to stop doing. Like Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do, I am doing. It's just a repetitive pattern of bad habits in my life. Others want a personal change in their spiritual walk with God. They say, I want to get closer to Jesus. I want to pray more. I want to worship. I want to experience the presence of God more in my life. Rather, your situational or personal understand that you need to move from want to to got to to actually doing it. Because, and I want to explain to you how in a bit. But see, when I read this story, something frightened me. And I read a lot of scary things in the Bible. I read about thousands of people dying and being sick, and I read about fires and storms and all of that, but one thing in this story really scared me as a pastor, being honest here. And you're thinking, well, what can be so scary in this passage? You want to know? The house that Jesus was in was full. And they were listening to him preach. But only one person in that house was truly transformed. Isn't that good, Frankie? Only one person got inside the house and left the house transformed. You know what the scary thing as a pastor is? You can have a church that's full of people and no one changes. You can go in the house of God, as we call it, and out the house of God the same. And all those people crowded the house and Jesus was preaching and who better to preach than Jesus? And no one changed but one. And as a pastor, this scares me because we can get our church full of people and we can have the presence of God literally right here and you are at risk of leaving the same way you came in. No transformation, no experience of God, nothing only to say, I'll see you next week, pastor. Don't you want to come to church and leave completely different? 
Don't you want to encounter Jesus Christ when you go to church? You see, all they did was hear a sermon. And they went home. And they said, man, that was crazy in church today, how that guy just started walking. Yeah, that was great. And we can go to church and have it full of people and listen to sermons and talk about how good church was today, but I believe that the only reason you can say church was good today is because you experienced God and experienced some type of transformation. James 1.22 says, don't merely listen to the word as you're doing now. And so deceive yourself. Do what it says. See, James is saying, you need to go past listening and start doing. See, this man was in the house with Jesus and not only did he listen to the sermon, it changed his life. And it scares me as a pastor because I wonder, as the years I've been a pastor, how many people have gone through our church and truly never have experienced the power of change through Jesus Christ. They're just listening. There's a lot of listeners in the house of God. And not enough doers. If you want to change your your life, the Bible shows us three things in this passage. That if you don't do, you'll never see the change of Jesus in your life. Let Let me show you something interesting. If you're here today and you're saying, well, Pastor, I want change. Look at verse 5. When Jesus, can we say that word together? When Jesus, what? He saw their what? Their faith. When Jesus saw the faith of these men climb the roof and break a hole and lower the man because they knew this man could change. They knew Jesus can change this man. Jesus can change this situation. When they believed that Jesus had the authority to do miracles, Jesus looked at them. He didn't look at the crowd. He didn't say, man, I'm so glad the house is full. Look how many people we have. He didn't care about numbers like we do. But God, Jesus, to look at him. If you want Jesus, like, to look at you. There's something that grabs the attention of God every time. And that is not just your faith. No, no. It is your faith that is demonstrated through your actions. That's what moves God. That's why... When Jesus sees you do something in faith, His eyes are on you. His eyes are not on you because you're in church sitting down going, when is this over? His eyes aren't on you because you made it to the house of God today. His eyes are on you when He knows you did something out of faith. It was crazy. It was outrageous. They shouldn't have done it, but they did it because they believed You see, if you want to see a change in your life, your faith has to be demonstrated. 
Do your actions. Do your actions in your life demonstrate a genuine faith in Jesus Christ? See, there are three things you need to do to experience the true change in your life. You ready for them? Number one, it's in verse 5. Let's read it together. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm this paralyzed man, I'm confused, I'm frustrated, I'm upset, I want my money back. Because I would say, Jesus, I love you, I believe in you, but I did not come to have my sins forgiven. I came to walk. Can I get a witness? Jesus, I didn't come for this. I came for that. Number one, if you want to see change in the physical life, you first have to make a change in your spiritual life. Jesus saw their faith. But notice, if you want to see change and move from mess to bless, let Jesus, first things first, let Jesus change you. You. Not that other person, not your job, not the situation. Let God change you. Most of our prayers are us telling God to change this or to change that. And rarely, very rarely are we actually praying, Lord, change me first. Change me. So number one, first things first. If you want a physical change in your life, Jesus needs to change you first. The fact is, this Jesus clearly saw and knew why they were there. They, he knew that they were there to have a physical transformation. But isn't it ironic and isn't it interesting that before Jesus could change the physical problems in this life, he wanted to touch and change the spiritual problems in this man's life first. You're then thinking, well, pastor, I'm confused. What's the point? Oftentimes, the physical problems in your life are a result of the spiritual ones that are inside you. I know you're mad at me. You'll forgive me later. Listen, oftentimes the physical problems in your life are a spiritual condition. And before God can change the physical in your life, He needs to change the spiritual within you. Some issues are a result of spiritual problems. Jesus knew this man could walk. Jesus knew that this man wanted a miracle, physical miracle. But Jesus knew if I just heal him physically, he's going to leave here spiritually still wrong. Let me explain something to you about this. When Jesus looks at you, the first thing Jesus looks at you, before he looks at any physical thing in your life, he always looks at your heart. He always looks at the spiritual. And Jesus doesn't look and focus on the inability of this man to walk. He focuses on the man's heart and sin. And what if right now you want God to deal with your physical problems, but God is actually wanting to deal with your sin first? 
I know we don't like to talk about sin in the church, but this is our church and we talk about sin. Sin is going outside the will of God. And you cannot expect God to physically change your life if you want to stay sinful. You want to stay outside His boundaries. Jesus said, before I can physically heal you, let's talk about your sin. And maybe there's sin in your life. Maybe you're growing cold spiritually. Before God can even begin to change your physical life, He needs to change your spiritual. And you're thinking, well, why is that so important to God? Because if you don't have a spiritual change in your life, you will ruin the physical blessings of God. Let me prove this to you. Do you believe marriage is a blessing from God? Some of you are like, no. Well, listen, in the Bible, in the Bible, marriage is a blessing. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a gift and favor from the Lord. Marriage is a blessing, a physical blessing from God. Now, if you have a spiritual problem and there's habitual sin in your life and you're cold with the Lord, aren't you at risk of really messing up your marriage? If your wife or your husband has a spiritual condition, if your wife and your husband is cold with the Lord, if your wife and your husband wants nothing to do with God, if your wife or your husband is spiritually just wrong in the eyes of God, how successful does your marriage I mean, how successful can your marriage be? And there's a lot of marriages that are falling apart and physically falling apart because of a spiritual issue. There's bitterness, there's anger, there's idolatry, there's emotional bondages, there is sin. And if you have a spiritual problem, you will mess up a physical blessing. Physical blessings that God gives you like marriage and provisions and whatever else can and will be ruined if you don't fix the inside first. That's why when Jesus met this woman in a well, she had a lot of physical problems. The Bible says that this woman was going from man to man to man to man. She kept swiping, swiping, and swiping. She was going on dates from dates to dates. Man, Jesus said to her, you have a lot of men in your life. In fact, the one that you're with right now, he's not even your husband. See, if Jesus wanted to change her physical life, but before he did so, he touched on her sin. He touched on her spiritual walk with him. Jesus says, I know you're looking for happiness, but you're searching in all the wrong places. And Jesus had to first heal her spiritually to change her physically. So the first thing is first, if you want to experience a physical change in your life, you need to humble yourself and let God change you first. If there's unrepented sin in your life, if there's areas of spiritual bondage in your life, go to God first with that and forget everything else. That's why God says, seek first the kingdom of God and all other things will be added on to you. Forget all the other things around you and first seek God. Spiritually, make Him a priority in your life. Seek first God. 
So forget everything else you want to tell God. Don't tell God about your money problem. Don't tell God about your marriage problems. Don't tell God about your job problems. Don't tell God about your health if you know without a doubt, spiritually, there's something wrong. Go to God first with your heart. If you change your heart, it will change your life. Number two, did you guys get that one? Were you blessed by that first one? All right. The second one. Verse 4. The Bible says, They could not get to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening on the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. You know what really spoke to me in this verse? Is that phrase, after digging through it. After digging through it. You know what's interesting? Number two. If you want to see change in your life and go from mess to bless, understand this powerful principle. Small choices, small choices lead to big changes. Small choices. If you're digging, it's something you're doing consistent. When you take a shovel, you grab a little bit of dirt. It's not much. And you... And then you go again. And then you go again. And you know what happens when you do these little things consistently? The more you do it, the deeper you get. And if you want to get deeper with God, like they wanted to get deeper with Jesus, you need to do small, consistent things first. So first thing is first. Let God change you on this inside. First thing is first. Big changes start with little choices. We think that in order for God to do big things in our life, we need to do big things for Him. And we get so emotional and excited when we're ready to change our lives and we're ready to see God change us and we say crazy things like, I'm going to read the whole Bible in one month. And I'm going to get up at 3 a.m. and pray for five hours. And if that's you, awesome. That ain't me. We make these big plans. I'm going to join every ministry in church. Somehow I'm going to worship on the band while cleaning up with Maria. And I'm going to help out in the media and help out in the sound. And I'm going to join every ministry because I want to see God give me big blessings. What if God is saying, I want you to start making little choices that honor me. Little ones. You want to know how crazy I am? Do you really? You're saying, Pastor, we know. No, listen. I spiritualized almost everything. I realized I had a problem this week. So I was watching the news, Fox News, and this commercial came on, and it was for a new resort in the Bahamas called Sandals. And I realized how stupid Sandals is. Because as I'm watching this commercial, there's two people talking. And they're like, oh, we had a nice dinner. 
We walked on the beach. We swam with the, and with the fish. We had a romantic butler and all this, showing everything. And the two couples said something so stupid to me. And for the first time again, we fell in love. And I said, wait a minute. So it took you to go to the Bahamas, pay a fortune, swim in beautiful beaches, eat fancy food to get you to fall in love with your spouse again. What are you going to do when the vacation's over? Do you remember when I gave counseling to you? Remember what I said to you, both of you? Give it up for Alemis. They just got married. And I said to them, don't be stupid. It's not the big dates, the romantic getaways, extravagant gifts that make marriage work. You know what makes marriage work? It's the small, consistent gestures. It's the small things you keep doing to remind your spouse you love them, you care for them. So don't be like sandals. Don't say it needs to be big for me to have a big change. No, start small. 15 minutes a day. 10. Read your Bible. That's 10 more minutes than what you're probably reading right now. Pray five minutes, two minutes. Pray one minute every day. Do something small to see big changes. You want to see changes in your finances. Make small changes. Stop eating out so much. Start saving more. Here's a new concept. Start tithing. 10% is small. But you don't do it. And you expect God to bless you. That's why in the Bible, it was a little basket that a little boy gave that did a big miracle. That's why in the Bible, Jesus looked at a widow who gave two small pieces of coins that if you rub them together, wouldn't even make a penny. And Jesus said, wow, did you see that? And I would have been, yeah, we're broke if that's what she gave. But he said, no. It might have been small, but she did it in faith, and she did it with everything she had. Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. You see what Jesus is saying here? If you do small things, it can lead to big ones. These people, they climbed the ladder, and they just started digging. I don't know how long it took. I don't know how long it's going to take for God to give you a breakthrough. But I'll tell you this, a breakthrough will come if you keep digging, if you keep going, if you stay consistent with the small things in your life, and they grow, and you get deeper and deeper and deeper. You'll be surprised how deep you can get with God when consistently doing things in a small manner. Can you dig it? Alright. Number three. This one is going to offend you. This one is going to ruin your Sunday right now. I'm about to ruin your Sunday morning. You ready? Let's recap. Number one. 
Let Jesus change you first before you tell him to change anything else. Can, I say, can you say amen? Yes. All right, number two, small changes. Small choices lead to big changes. You got it? Yeah. Son, all you see, you got to say, I dig it. I dig it. All right, I dig it. Number three. You ready? ready? Brace yourself. Choose the right people. That's it. You know why most of us get into a mess in their life? Because we are with the wrong people. Aren't you glad this man had friends that would actually help him get to Jesus? That's why it matters who you choose to make friends with, who you have a relationship with, who you choose to marry. Don't be deceived, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15.33 warns people in the church, do not be misled or deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Notice it's not the other way around because there's a lot of foolish Christians that think, I have such godly character, it has to change the bad people around me. So you put yourself in these bad positions with people because you want to play the role of the Holy Spirit and change them. The silence, I love it. Give it to me. Silence. Be quiet. Notice the Bible says don't be misled. Misled by what? A lot of us are deceived and thinking that bad company won't corrupt us. No, they won't affect me. They won't change me. But isn't it amazing that you can be around a person long enough and you start picking up their patterns? You start changing. People will have an effect on you. Just ask Solomon, who was around all these pagan women and it changed him. Just ask Samson, who was around one pagan woman and it changed him. Don't be deceived. I can change them. Don't be deceived. They won't change me. It's interesting in the Bible, in Genesis 12.1, when Abraham, who was the spokesperson for being blessed, who was the father of blessing, who was the first one that God said, I'm going to bless you. This is the man, the ambassador, the poster child of blessing. And notice what God tells him. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your what? People and your father's household. The first thing God told him because he wanted to bless him was, Abraham, I can't bless you unless you leave these people. Why? Because the people he was with were worshiping idols and were pagan and ungodly and they were his family. They were his friends. And God said, leave. Leave. Because if you stay here, it's going to corrupt you. How do you know who's the right people? How do you know who's right for you? The Bible shows us in the story we're reading. First of all, the right people will be loyal to you at any condition. I believe this man was not born paralyzed. And they were his friends when he was fine. When he was good, healthy, strong. But when this man suffered this tragedy or problem with sin, whatever it was that left him paralyzed, his friends never left him. 
And that is the sign of a good person to be with, is loyalty. Loyalty in any condition. Loyalty, but I know what you're thinking because I see your flesh. Well, pastor, there's a lot of people that aren't Christian that are more loyal than the Christian people I know. And it's true. There are some Christians that are terrible people. I know. There are some Christians that have no loyalty. There are believers that will stab you in the back. Do you look at my back? I have so many scars from them. There are Christians that said, I love you, David. I'll be in your church forever, David. It's you and me, David. And there are people that left. They're gone. They hurt me. They stabbed me. They lied about me. They were disloyal. And that same thing will happen to you, godly or not. There are loyal people and disloyal people. And yes, some of those loyal people may not even know Jesus, which leads me to the next thing you have to ask yourself if this is the right person I need to be with. Notice that these group of friends, not only were they loyal to this man at the worst condition of his life, but they carried him to Jesus. See, the right person will always bring you closer to Jesus and further away. How many people can you chop away now because I said that? How many of you could be like Benny Hanna and just chop away all these friends? Because you know that when you're with them, they're not bringing you closer to Jesus, but further away. But they're loyal. Yes, they're loyal. But are they getting you closer to Jesus? And the right people, the Bible says they carried him. The right person not only is loyal unconditionally, not only does the right person bring you closer to the Lord and further, the right person carries you when you can't carry yourself. You know what a real true friend does? A friend will tell you when you're messed up. A friend will tell you when you're a mess. I'm grateful for the people that can call me out on my sin. I'm grateful for the people that can say, David, that, oh, David, that was messed up, bro. That was messed up. I'm grateful for the people that carry me when I can't carry myself. If you have a friend or a family member or a church member that is with you and always tells it like it is and tells you when it hurts because they love you, you don't get mad at them. You thank God for them because we need people like that in our lives. I believe that they looked at this man and said, bro, you need to start changing. we got to get you closer to Jesus because you can't stay like this because a real friend can't see you suffer and stay that way. They carry you. So you surround yourself with people that are loyal unconditionally and bring you closer to Jesus and actually carry you when you can't carry yourself. You want to see your life change? Change the people when you call friends. Watch how quickly you begin to get deeper with the Lord. And as we close, first things first, you want to go from mess to blessed and see God change? Let God deal with your heart first. Before God can change the physical, He needs to deal with the spiritual matters in your life. Maybe alone tonight at home, say, Pastor, 
I got to get along with God and tell Him, Lord, my heart's not right. And I want to see a physical change in whatever area you want to tell God. But I know, Lord, if I don't change spiritually, I'm going to mess up the physical blessings you're going to give me. Let God change you first on the inside. The second thing you need to do is start making small choices that can lead to big changes. Remember, start digging. Little, consistent things will change your life forever. Number three, lastly, if you want to see a change in your life, start changing the people you're with. Some of them have to go. Some of them you know aren't getting you closer to the Lord but further away. Change your heart. Make small choices. Make better friends. And watch like this man in the Bible. Watch how that changes your life forever. Watch how it begins to transform you from the inside out to the point that notice when this man walked, it was visible to everyone. God can change your life so much that it becomes evident to everyone you've had a true encounter with Him. So you're saying, well, Pastor, I want to see a change in my life. And I know, Lord, I want to change my heart first. I sin. There's things inside me that don't honor you. And Lord, I know I need to start making changes and I'm going to start small to get deeper with you. And I know there are people in my life I need to start drifting away from. There are phones, contacts in my phone I need to delete. There are some people I need to block because they're not getting me closer to the Lord. And there's one more thing you need to do if you do all three of these things. Verse 4, the Bible says, picture this, they climbed up, they dig, they lowered him. The Bible says that they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening on the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the man. They lowered the man. The phrase there in the Greek means to lay it down. And it's interesting that the phrase there means to lay it down because in the Bible, laying something down before God was an act of true surrender. Why is it so important you learn this? Because there are some things in your life you cannot change, but only God can. There are some people in your life only God can change. There are some situations in your life only God can change. There are some personal things in your life only God can change. See, it's important that you get this because the Bible says here this this principle, you do what you can do and I'll do what you can't. That's how God works. Stop expecting God to do what you can do yourself. Stop being lazy as a Christian. Don't be lazy anymore. Do what you know you can do. Trust God with what you can't. You want to see someone change in your life? What can you do? Invite them to church. Can you do that? 
Could you be a better testimony around them? Can you do that? Could you speak to them about the, can you preach to them the gospel? Can you do that? You do what you need to do. But lay them down before God. You do what you can do for your marriage to be better, but then you lay it down before God. You do what you can do to parent your child the right way, and then you lay that child over to God. You do what you can do financially. You do what's right financially, and then you lay your finances to God, who's a provider. See, trusting in God never meant we be lazy. You do what you can do and lay down what you can't. Let me pray for you this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, first things first, you're here this morning. You're listening online right now. You're saying, God, I need change. I need change. Tell God what area that is you need change in. Is it a sin? Is it a person? Is it a situation? Is it personal? And make this promise before God now. And say, Lord, I promise I'm going to try, but I might fail. But Lord, deal with me first. In fact, I'm going to pray over you right now, because I believe everyone here in this church needs change. Father, I pray for every person listening now online or here present in the building. Father, for the areas of our life we want to change. Father, deal with our hearts first. If there's things in us that don't honor you, if there's sin in our lives, if we're cold with you spiritually, how dare we ask you to change something physically? First, do the changing within us, Lord, so you can get the blessing out of us. Deal with our heart. Examine our hearts, Lord. Show us if there's anything that hinders you from blessing us, Father. Purify us again. For anyone dealing with sin, Lord, we know that you have the authority. You have the authority to forgive, Lord. So I pray, Jesus, that you would forgive us for our sins. Just ask the Lord right now and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. No questions asked. You're forgiven. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for anyone here that wants to do big things for you, but Lord can't even do small ones. I pray they leave this house today, Lord, completely transformed to start digging. Little changes, little prayers, little worship song, a little devotion. Start coming to church more, little by little. Start tithing little by little. Father, to start serving in the little things. And even though it's not much, we know that if it's done with a sincere heart, it's a big thing to you. And Father, for those here who are influenced now by bad company, who are drifting from you because they're with people that don't get them closer to you but further. Father, like Abraham, would you give us the heart to remove, to walk away. And Father, we excuse it and we say, but Lord, we want to be the light in darkness, but it's just an excuse for us to be in darkness. If that's the situation, Father, break us of that sin and repent. 
help us, Lord, to find people that are loyal, that will bring us closer to Jesus, to you, to help us to remove the bad influences in our lives. Father, I also want to pray this. Help us to be like these friends. There are people in our lives you're going to place in our lives, Lord, that can't, that need a change in their world, that need you. Father, I pray that we be the friends that get people closer to Jesus and not be the bad influence that gets them further away from you. Through our actions, our attitudes, and our love, let people get closer to you by being with us. That's my prayer. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining me today in our church service. Thank you for being here. Yeah, give God some praise today. That's good.